I guarantee you, I guarantee you cannot so easily take me apart when I am, when I am hung on low drink, on poems like I don't need, leopard dresses here to serve me, future glasses. Bet the whole heart on every female, so spectacular, I lose my pen lid, usually at the bar, I miss my buses and trains, I guess you better love me casual, or I'm a snake nut can, most poems just what I think it is you want from me, to say is to say, perpetually I am wrong, so you should think I'm charming? Defend your position. Tell me a poem about me, like I always let the moon hit you on your way out of my interpretation of you. Some of 6030. Turned 30, now have the balls to be presumptuous about 60. Hammered and out 10 years broke, and it's failure of women, and I feel two decades ambered. Oh, beauty, don't move. If it wasn't for the damned light, I could see in the dark. Then I drape each brown light in gut, each bottle needed for doing. The dead bottles drunk you drink professionally, so friends leave for the night warm guts, and your welfare begging you to turn that heat that separates you out of this year. Just who is Justin Million? Well, that part isn't too hard. He's a poet. But what has he done? Well, that takes some explaining to do. That takes... That's a deeper examination required. And I think if you're going to follow along with my upcoming interview you're going to hear with him, I think you need a bit of a background story. Both who he is and where we did it. So I'll try my best right here. He's a poet. He's... Basically his life story has three main settings. Not the only ones, but three main ones. He grew up here in Peterborough, then he sort of found his artistic being somewhat in Ottawa and lived there for a while, and now he's been back here for a number of years, and he's sort of integrated in becoming a voice, in my opinion, of the town in a poetical manner. He has written 20 plus books of poetry, he's done his share of creative writing workshops, he's been involved with show-and-tell poetry series. Since 2016 at the Garnet, one of his big successes that we mentioned a lot in this interview, he was doing keyboards where he would just sit in a corner, type away at the his favorite thing, the typewriter, and produce a page for people at the end. The audience that was listening, that was the odd Sunday night at the Garnet. In Ottawa, he helped found their Verse Fest, and he's been up for a number of awards in Peterborough before. And he's 
also been a produced a number of works with Baird Birdberry Press and worked as a co-editor there as well. He's done impossible prompts at uh, the Theatre on King. I think one poem you really need to think of as Ms. I Guarantee You. And, you know, he just sort of reminded me a bit of Al Purdy. This Charles Burkowski thing came up a lot, but I think in our first interview that unfortunately got lost. I regret losing that one. Uh, Charles Burkowski did come up a lot. He's a passionate hockey fan. And at one time he did really love one of his first prompts into poetry. I don't think there's any shame in it. Don't feel shame on this. I could name a lot of old Paul, Paul McCartney songs that prompted me, and I'm talking about his solo work, not the Beatles, but Wind Beneath My Wings was did it for him. So this is an interview that the only... Those of you outside of Peterborough, maybe you need a bit of an introduction to the only, because I don't really think... I don't think it's... I think it's the perfect setting, but if you don't know the only outside of Peterborough, well, then you're you're missing out on something there. You don't... It's really... It's just one of the most natural settings in the town historically for kind of a countercultural thing, even though all people are invited. It has no elitism to it. It's a small venue, but... It's art, it's floors, wall coverings. They've sort of stood the test of time. I think you just really kind of have to experience it, but it's one business that's also withstood these barrage of closings and bankruptcies during our COVID and postmodern economic period of disaster. Well, anyway, here's my interview upcoming with Justin Million at The Only. In episode 21 of Corner of Hunter and George, Peterborough's arts and cultural podcast. I guess I should have welcomed you to the show already. Okay. Welcome to Corner of Hunter and George. Episode 21. Here it is. There we go. I was testing it earlier, so, yeah. It, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. It involves, I'll edit anything unnecessary or anything. I guess it's kind of what the first thing I was thinking of. I, I have trouble doing things two ways at the same time, even if actually the first time was really well, went same. really well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can't really do that. Uh, so I was just thinking, um, I guess that maybe is an example of what I was thinking of as a first topic anyway. So uh, yeah, we're now in like um, close to the middle of July 2022. Um, we've kind of uh, lived through a stage of things, and yes, COVID may still come back in rapid force, it seems, but... Uh, We've kind of also had time to sort of uh, reintegrate ourselves uh, externally and not just be caught in our own uh, own uh, apartment building or whatever. Uh, has it made you sort of refocus about what you want to do in the near future? Yeah, I think I think it has. I mean, it's hard to like at the beginning of the pandemic. I heard from a lot of people. Well, maybe not at the beginning, maybe eight months to a year in, a lot of people were just saying, oh, well, this must be great for you. Mm-hmm. As a writer, you know, there, you know, you have all this free time, uh, you know, if you uh, are now working from home or whatever, or if you're just off work. Well, you have all this free time, 
and you know the world is in uh, disarray this must be great for work and it wasn't like I, I don't know I don't know any artist who had a great pandemic artistically or creatively I think we're starting to see artists come out of that now um, like you can see a lot of you know more popular musicians releasing you know two records within the same year mm-hmm. like obviously they've been working um, I worked a lot during the pandemic uh, like work work but also uh, writing work um, but yeah re- refocusing just trying to kind of I was just talking to a friend of mine about this earlier today just kind of trying to slow everything down uh, you know less drama less stress less uh, less kind of everything I don't go out as much mm-hmm. um, but refocusing on reading refocusing on um, you know where I might want to take uh, my work because you know you did you did have a lot of t- I did have a lot of time to think uh, during the pandemic and one thing I want to do is maybe not spread myself out so thin mm-hmm. um, you know so right now I'm working on something book like um, that I'd like to shop around to um, what I like to call more established publishers mm-hmm. um, I've, I've spent well all of my career as a poet publishing with small press. Yeah, um, I'd like to try my hand at a book with, you know, editors, uh, you know, a publishing house with editors and with you know marketing team. Like, I, I, I certainly don't care about the financials of it. I, mm-hmm. I don't intend on making any money because nobody does. Right. Uh, with hey, how you doing? Good, are you? With poetry, nobody makes any money, um, mm-hmm. so that never factors into it. But yeah, just uh, again to have your work assessed for merit. Uh, first by, you know, professional readers that work for publishing houses and then work with an editor. That'd be interesting. Uh, I usually just, in small press, you can kind of get away with just sending your book and it gets published as is. Um, I'd like the experience of working with an experienced editor just to see what that's like. Um, I, I love the publisher that I have uh, in, in a good friend of mine, Cameron Anstey in Ottawa with Apartment 9 Press. And because he's such a good friend of mine, and because he's such a genius publisher and, and poet in his own right, um, anything I do, I think I'll give him first right of refusal on. Okay. You know? But, uh, again, it would be interesting to, to send some submissions out and, and see what happens. So that's, that's what I'm working on at the moment, and trying to do less events, trying to say no to more things. So ideally, okay. give me more time to really craft a solid 80 to 120 page manuscript. Okay, and so the manuscript's kind of finished, and you're just kind of wanting to put it out there at the moment? No, I'm, I I actually just applied for, there's a small local grant um, that I just applied for, which would give me, you know, a couple weeks of paid writing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got about 50 to 55 pages. If I add, uh, there's a chat book that I, that I did recently that I might want to add to the book uh, in its entirety so that would put me closer to that 80 page mark I think when I get I'd like to get it to 100 pages and then and then see what happens okay well without getting obviously into the micro details of it but in a macro sense is it kind of uh, a bit of your poetic voice coming out in kind of a new form sort of thing it's old and new so like not old but you know I'm including some work that I've written in the last three to five years Mm -hmm. Um, and 
because I mean it's been read in yeah. in smaller books or online or something, but it hasn't been read by a, a wider audience outside of you know small press circles or local circles. So I think it, it would still be you know I think it's still fresh and I still like it, which is mm-hmm. weird for me. Uh, normally, if I put something out, I tend to not go back. Um, only in very few instances will I go back. Uh, I like to kind of push forward. So. Uh, some of the new poems, like some things that have happened recently, like that Lambda AI, I don't know if you heard about that, that, yeah. you know, claims the, the technician there that was working with it or whatever claimed that it was self-aware oh, and, right. yeah. you know, had achieved, you know, full kind of self-aware sentient, sentience. Um, that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mostly kind of what I like to call like futurism, futuristic kind of concerns. I don't want to get too bogged down in the science or whatever because I don't know it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, things like that always present kind of bigger ideas. I like to keep mm-hmm. the work as accessible as I can so that, again, somebody like me who doesn't understand the high science can still read it and take something from it. Right. Um, oh, and to kind of bring it down to our level, like, and by that I mean, you know, we're not... Uh, or maybe you are, I don't know. We're not working for NASA. We're not... Uh... No, definitely not. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll leave the kind of the math and the formulas and whatever to, uh, and the computing to the experts, but I think I can certainly bring a kind of... Uh, or I'd like to try, to try to bring a kind of layman's perspective to these higher-minded ideas. Okay. And so when you're saying you don't want to spread yourself too thin, so I take it uh, one positive experience you had just before COVID, and I've heard, we were talking about it last time, and I've heard other people since then uh, say a lot how they really enjoyed it was your keyboards thing. Right. I, I, I take it then you, like if you were trying to do that now, it A, might not be doable, or it might be an example of you spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, and mm-hmm. just, yeah, like I, I think that uh, was a kind of a different, version of me like I mm-hmm. learned a lot from that it was two and a half close to three years of events it was last mm-hmm. Sunday of every month um, so I think it doesn't add up to too many events I think it's like 30 events or so mm-hmm. in that time but um, I think it was a great way to um, break back into the Peter Art scene after being away for about a decade mm-hmm. um, it was different. Uh, it taught me a lot. It was typewriter based, so it taught me a lot about mm-hmm. the difference between typewriter writing and, uh, you know, putting pen to paper or right. uh, using a word processor, you know, using software or whatever. Um, learned a lot from that, but yeah, to bring, I, I still like to bring it forward every now and then, like a special occasion, uh, if the right person asks, like I'll do, like I did a Christmas show here. I think that was two two Christmas events, so high, height of COVID, mm-hmm. uh, which was a kind of a scary experience. I was in the bar, but at, here at the only. Um, but I was up at the top of the stairs there inside, so I felt okay enough. And I just, it was on the 23rd of December, so I thought there'd be nobody there. Mm-hmm. Given how close it was to Christmas, but the bar was just packed, and they weren't, they weren't all there for me. There were some that were, but... I think it was just like, oh, a last kind of drink up before we all go away to our various places. I just didn't think it would be that busy. Um, so again, a bit of a scary kind of moment, um, but also a great show mm-hmm. um, in that the energy was amazing in the room, like a lot of people bustling, and and I had my friend Malcolm Byard on the 
on a projector out front. He was projecting on the brick building here beside us. Um, but yeah, in terms of bringing that stuff back, I, again, I think I got what I needed from it mm -hmm. and am trying to not do any live events. I find that they just, they never, well, I shouldn't say never, they rarely, um, they rarely end up being worth the kind of stress and work that comes before. Right. <laughs> and maybe, and I think, I think that very much it just is, is the place I'm in now is the product of the place I'm in now uh, it's not that I am off live events forever um, but for the moment because there's a lot of you know stress and build up you have it in your calendar on your phone and you, you know you see it two weeks away and it's looming large and mm -hmm. I'd rather just uh, I've been cutting out a lot of arts responsibilities saying no to a lot of things again so I can just kind of be freer to think and freer to write finish the manuscript ideally in a decent amount of time so I'm thinking in the next few months probably finish that and then okay all right we'll see where that goes so so ironically a more public poet figure used to be is kind of turning more into uh, a traditional like uh, just need a room to yourself sort yeah. Of thing. yeah yeah okay. and uh, yeah and I think I did you know I did my part mm -hmm. you know I ran oh, the definitely. Yeah. show and tell poetry series for about seven years six, seven years and was part of Birdberry Press and uh, which is a press that my partner Alicia Rubishaw runs and mm -hmm. was a poetry editor for that so yeah I think I've done my part in terms of public performance and whatnot it's time to kind of uh, you know rally the inner troops and, okay. uh, and, and yeah just take more time to think and write okay now is there uh any kind of particular things you've read this year or maybe last year even that uh, it's kind of like uh, I don't know not not a kind of blueprint but kind of like inspired you to go in this direction um yeah I mean I've, re I've read a lot of great stuff in the last especially in the last like few months that I don't know if they've inspired me to go in that direction but I think this inspired me to slow down a bit. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but the last three years, I think for most of us, have been high stress um, and a kind of like a chronic stress, like to the mm -hmm. point where it's just always with you, even if you're not kind of tuning into it. Right. Um, and so, for those reasons, I've just wanted to kind of step back from a lot of things, um, just for you know mental health, that kind of thing. Um, but also, yeah, just seeing what or hearing, you know amazing writers who have done the same thing uh, you know what work they're producing uh, Billy Collins is an American poet he was the American Poet Laureate mm -hmm. um, him. he's it, like and it's it, what's that what's that like ASMR where it's like very yes. you know like a very calming kind mm -hmm. of Collins is kind of that in poetic form oh is he really okay yeah. it's it's it, it's like a it's like a beautiful, almost monotone. That, okay. that sounds too negative for what he's doing, but like, it's it's just a, this very calming effect. Um, I like to listen to him read as opposed to just read the work on the page. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of readings online that you can hear, and it just command. Like he obviously has like such a command of his work and of humor and of being able to present his work in front of an audience. It's just like it's it's something I really admire. So just kind of again reading people that are kind of whether through on the page physically or in readings just kind of slowing everything down 
and making you slow down a bit uh, as a reader or as a listener, that stuff's been speaking to me a lot lately. Like getting back into, which I haven't done for the longest time, like reading novels and realizing that, that fiction and realizing that, well, I end up in a nonfiction, which I'd never do, but um, I find with something longer form, like it forces me to just settle in. Like, you, you know, you get a copy or something, you settle into, I'm the type that needs to settle into a novel for like two, three hours. I can't just pick it up and read five pages and go somewhere else and have a day and then come back at night and read five more and go to bed and then pick it up. The yeah, next you know, I, I have to settle in and, and you know, crush like 100, 150 pages so that I'll retain it. And... And so, again, I think it's no coincidence that I've been taking up novels and nonfiction to, again, slow everything down and really appreciate the language, really appreciate what they're trying to say, and then to see how that will affect my work, which I think it has. I think you consider more when you're slow, when you're kind of slowing down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, ideas have a, have a you know, longer time to kind of germinate. And, and become what they're going to become. Um, instead of, like, for most of my writing career, I public, like, I'm pretty prolific, and I don't say that to, with any kind of ego, because most, a lot of it has, you know, been unsuccessful, or, <laughs> or uh, you know, but I think for me, when I, especially in my younger days, I was just, it was more about just cranking out the work mm-hmm. and being the type of poet that does. I've, again, I've done that for a long time. So now I'd rather not. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'd rather try a different way forward, which, as I've said, is just kind of, yeah, slowing things down, taking it taking it easy. Right. That's it. Right. No, I, no I have, I've, well, I've always read you as being prolific, too, and the reason I've had you, had you on. And, like, uh, just referring to who I said I was talking to yesterday, Danny Taro, I think one thing on his summer calendar this year is he's having some poetry slam fest and all okay. yeah I, I even if you weren't saying what you were saying tonight I that's not something I could see you I just don't think that speaks exactly you tell me if I'm wrong but that's it's not a natural way you put out yeah your art yeah no you're not wrong yeah. um Mm-hmm. It's, uh, like, I mean, I respect the form, um, because I think it, um, it brings in a lot of people of color, it brings in a lot of younger people, I think mm-hmm. page poetry is, uh, something that, um, you know, a lot of young people in particular see as kind of, uh, outdated, maybe, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think it is by any stretch, um, but yeah, just, um, I, I, in Peterborough, you know, Peterborough's huge for spoken word and slam poetry. Mm-hmm. Like, we punch way above our weight here. Um, you know, national national slam finalists and slam team winners. And, you know, it's a, it, for a city our size, um, you know, they've had unbelievable success in hosting uh, the national... Uh, I think it was... What was it? The national... Festival spoken word. That's right. Yes, um, that's right. Hosting yeah. that here. So obviously, mm-hmm. if you're if you if you can host, that means you're obviously a community where there's a prize. It's just not my mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I, I prize the page. Like I think it's very important to write things down, mm-hmm. um, and especially on the typewriter, which I could that would be its own podcast almost. Um, you learn. You learn so much more, I think, by seeing the work on the page 
and reckoning with it on the page, whether that's, again, you're writing with a pen or pencil uh, or on a typewriter that you just can't get if you're recording your voice, if you're uh, you know, writing on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't stand the idea of writing on the phone, but I know some people probably do. I'll jot down an idea maybe here or there if I don't have paper. Um, yes, especially when your words are being self-corrected for you all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, the typewriter is probably my best example, and I've said this a few different times. That like yeah. One of the best things that the typewriter does for me is... When I make a when I uh, when I want to get rid of something on the page, so it's a physical page, so you have to deal with it in a physical way. So you either remove it from the machine, crumple it up, and then have to recycle that paper, which means it's then in your recycling bin, which means you then have to take it outside. You know, when uh, garbage or recycling pickup happens, and it's got to be physically removed. Whereas if you're on a computer. You can just hold down the backspace button, it's gone, it never really existed. Um, I I do that as well, because I do write on a computer every now and then, but I mm-hmm. think when you... So when I was doing like keyboards, for instance, or when I'm writing on a typewriter, mm-hmm. I like to X everything out that I no longer want. If I use the, the uh, word that I find I don't like, if I'm going in a direction I don't like, I use capital X's to X out that part and I continue on. And I think it teaches, it can teach a writer an important lesson, and actually the person who's receiving that poem, um, that, okay, so when I start to X this out, this is where I had to do something else. This is where, like, the new term pivot, right? Okay, like, this yeah. is where I had to reconsider the idea that I was chasing before, and, I, and, and I'm showing you that mistake, even though you can no longer read it because it's X'd out. I'm showing you that I needed to reconsider what I was saying and try something else. And I think that does a lot of work in terms of, you know, just making it okay to, mm-hmm. you know, write poems that aren't all perfect. Mm-hmm. Because I think when we do see them in, you know, a nice edition, like a book or or online, they're in their finished form, or when an established poet is reading it on a stage, it all seems so natural and so easy. But you can learn a lot from your mistakes. Um, and... And again, just in seeing them, um, it forces you to, yeah, just to realize that um, we we make mistakes, and there are times where we need to, yeah, reconsider and chart a different path. And so I like that that charting of that different path is is physical, is made available to the reader um, by Xing out. Um, which again, just one of many examples about why I like typewriters and why I like to write down the work. Um, I just think err on the side of being able to see your mistakes as opposed to um, choosing a form that just doesn't let you have that experience. Why not err on the side of maybe one day accessing that experience? Mm-hmm. Um, it works for me. I, I, and again, I only speak for myself. I, I don't like to be... I mean, I, I would like to be because I have an ego to me. But, like, I, I'm not going to be prescriptive. You know, like, I'm not going to say poets are all garbage unless they do this. Mm-hmm. Or poets are all poets are missing something unless they do it this way. But again, experiment with the modes that you're using, with the mediums that you're using. Um, 
you know, like use a typewriter, write in a notebook, use your laptop. Like these, these can all just be different tools that can teach you different things. If you're only using one of them, then you have no chance, as I said, to learn something possibly from a different mode of writing. So why not try them? Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, it sort of. Yeah, there's something about uh, kind of bypassing time if you go from pen to typewriter to phone to and back and forth kind of thing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and what you were saying earlier about the last three years, yeah, I, I while my wife is accusing me of getting really nostalgic these days, I think she's more referring to something like the 80s or the 90s, but uh, I guess just before COVID, I kind of uh, more interpreted life for a lot of us, including myself, kind of being kind of... Uh, the kind of sameness, kind of this locked-in kind of circle. Sure. And then there was COVID, and the res- results of all the implications of that is kind of like we're always kind of like unexpecting the unexpected or expecting the unexpected and things sort of getting in this, uh, things kind of getting worse and slipping and sliding away kind of thing. So um, I guess you kind of wanting to slow down and do things kind of thing like you you feel kind of more of a sense of control than before like because like you said you were being stretched then doing this doing that yeah uh, and uh you need to maybe just sort of like kind of plant your feet in some sort of project yeah and and when you do that again you're not like you said you're not pulled in many different directions like i liked it for literary events and you know the type those type of things i keep I normally like to delete everything that I've done that's in my calendar or my phone mm-hmm. after I've done it. Okay. With yeah. literary events, I keep them so I can kind of, you know, see what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I was actually doing that. I was going back in my calendar to find a date actually um, that I couldn't recall if something had happened on it or not. So I'm going over my calendar, and there was one month. I think it was December. I think it was December of 2020. Where like. Jeez, it had to have been almost half the calendar was taken up with uh, a residency or uh, events or, um, yeah, like online workshops or whatever. And just mm. thinking of that now is like, holy shit, I've done, like, that month it probably would have been like 10 or 12 events. And it's like, I'm not that guy anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't, and like, even thinking about who that guy was now seems. Uh, Geez, it just seems like a different me. Mm-hmm. Um, so by being able to, yeah, just by saying no mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of things, which I know we all have problems with now because as soon as we say no, then we think, oh, geez, the person on the other end thinks I'm a real asshole uh, or that, you know, I'm too good for whatever they're doing or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. We always wonder about how we're going to be received, especially now. It's like a, it's a new pandemic. It's a different pandemic. Um so I just, you know, I did like, no, I, I, I owe it to myself to, yeah, to take the time, slow down and, uh, and try to do some more kind of considered and pointed work. And there's real freedom in just giving yourself one project. That's a big project, but there's real freedom in giving yourself only that one project. And there will always be a few little things along the way because you kind of mm-hmm. can't get away from everything. No. Yeah. Uh, even though I would like to. 
Uh, like nothing would suit me even better than you know a three month to six month residency like at a farm or something in Saskatchewan with just a big sky and a typewriter and right booze and cigarettes. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be ideal. Um, yeah. But you know I kind of have to try to create that atmosphere where I am, mm-hmm. and I think the only kind of way to do that is again just to to make those decisions that are going to allow you that time and. Uh, I'm I'm doing that now, much maybe to the chagrin of folks that would like me to be involved in event X or mm-hmm. reading Y. Like there'll be a time when I want to come back to it. Right. I tend to do that. Um, you know, go headlong into something. I have a di- an addictive personality. Uh, I don't mean people are addicted to my personality. I mean that I smoke cigarettes and I you know tend to drink too much. Um, but I, I tend to go in on things uh, very passionately for a while until I kind of work out whatever that was that uh, brought me to it in the first place. Like, I'll work through an influence. Like, even Billy Collins, it's like that's starting to kind of ebb now. But I was, you know, staying up till 1 or 2 a.m. for hours just listening to him read and reading his books. And, and it's not that I... It's something clicked, like an equation was worked out. It's just that... I don't know. I, I got, I got what I, I guess I had come for in that work, and left um, changed, and uh, and I'll, I'll I'll certainly go back to it. He'll be in my Rolodex, you know, of, of work to go back to if I ever want to. But yeah, I tend to move through things. So I thought if I'm that type, and I know that about myself, then. Uh, why not kind of nip that in the bud and just make sure that this project doesn't fall by the wayside. This manuscript is something that you're going to finish and you're going to be proud of it. And if it doesn't get published, then fine. Uh, but you did it. And then, you know, maybe two, three years from now, I want to do another live event. I always want to do something different and strange. Like I've always yeah. had, an, uh, I've always had the, a pet project doing a talk show. Okay. I've always loved the idea of doing a talk show, um, and so I've been kind of conceiving of that. I just think it would be really fun. I've always wanted to be part of a writers' room. You know, you hear about like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Conan O'Brien and uh, you know uh, uh, his crew, like at SNL, or you know, having these just wild, fun conversations and producing work. Like you still have to produce work at the end of the day, and it's not just a bunch of you know, it's not just a bunch of people playing grab ass. They're they're working, um, but it's creative and it's fun. It's what they want to do. That's the dream. So if I could ever make money on, well, which I wouldn't ever make money on a local talk show in Peterborough. But if I could, if somebody came to me and said, "I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year to do a talk show," or shit, thirty thousand yes. dollars a year, twenty, uh, ten to do to do a talk show. Uh, once a week and you get to you know hang out with some fun people and smart people and write some fun stuff that would be the dream and I would still do po- I would still write poems of course because I don't I'm not the type that thinks that's, that's a possibility to stop uh, I'm too far in now for that but I guess I've kind of yeah no well talk show yeah no talk shows have a lot of capabilities a lot of comedic elements to them they could be too yes but, and just yeah, the idea yeah. of bringing in like 
Like, let's bring in a poet instead of a musical guest. Yes. Yeah. You know, let's bring in a painter maybe instead of a musical guest. Because mm-hmm. it's always the musical guest, right? Or the or the comic. Or the right. Stand-up comic. Yeah. I don't mind that too. Let's do those too. But I'm only going to do it if I can. Um, you know, work with the right folks, and it's not like I've approached people. I've approached one person about being my kind of Ed McMahon, my kind of sidekick. Okay. Um, just because I think he'd be mm-hmm. perfect. He's a brilliant. Well, it's Brad Brackenridge. Yeah. Sure you're, you're yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. And he's he's a genius. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant, mm-hmm. and he's he's one of those people that's like like a Zach Galifianakis. He's just like funny by default. Like his mm-hmm. default setting is entertaining. Right. Um. And I think he would just make a great kind of like, uh, you know, especially if he played it up like a great kind of like baffled mm-hmm. sidekick. Um, anyway, so he's the only one I've kind of approached about it, and it's it's a it's a dream. Uh, so I hope one day to fulfill it. Like especially now that Sadler House, Sadler House is doing uh, TV. Like they're they they have like a TV studio. Oh right, in yes. Sadler House, so mm-hmm. they're doing these amazing. You know, random uh, creative bits that they're going to air on Monday nights, like a new form of, you know, must-see TV. Like okay. tune in on Monday night. I love that oh, because yeah. everything we do now is so unstructured and live. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, you have to tune in at Monday at seven, and you know, get your refreshments ready because we're just—it's live, so we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And there's no commercial breaks because there's no commercial yeah, revenue. Yeah. And make sure you have your drinks and go to the bathroom before because you can't DVR or PVR this. You know you can't record it. Mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe you can. I don't. Well, but I love that idea. You know, uh, yeah, like landmark nights. That's why I always pictured myself doing the talk show on like a Friday night. Mm-hmm. You know, live like 10 p.m. at the Theater on King or something. You have to be there. Yeah. Uh, and maybe and and maybe live streaming it out. Or ideally working with Kojiko, like basic cable. I've always loved the basic cable access vibe. Oh, oh, You know, low tech and like, you know, everything's held together by elastics and you barely get to show off. Mm -hmm. But that's brilliant. I I would love that kind of thing. Yeah, no. I'm sure a few people are romanticizing about Kojiko these days. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. well, that's yeah. No, that's that's definitely a great idea right there. Um, now, I was thinking of before that. So, uh, so is, is was there certain barriers you maybe uh, had to cross to switch from poetry to prose for this? You found? I mean, I know you said fifty to fifty-five pages, but or is it kind of that that what that's never been an issue? It just sort of it's just whatever comes out comes out kind of thing yeah I mean there are always things that I want I want to write about again like the kind Mm -hmm. of futuristic concerns um and you know I'll make little notes of those along the way when I when I and sometimes I'm guilty for leaving those ideas behind which I think we all are make a small Mm -hmm. note I'll come back to this or or you you have that much you know hubris to think that you know, I'm gone. Just going to come back to it naturally because it was such a great idea, mm-hmm. and then it's gone the next day, like a yeah. dream that you think you would you'll, you're going to remember because mm-hmm. it affected you so much, and then you realize, you know, you you make a coffee, and somebody phone calls you on the phone, and you talk to them, and then you get off the phone and you're just about to start your day, and you realize you've already forgotten. Um, 
So yeah, I, I try. I'm 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 trying to do this manuscript differently in the sense that I'm trying to be a, a professional. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to uh, you know adult this uh, process as opposed to just being a bit more. Uh, let's say fair and it'll come to me mm-hmm. you know like well it doesn't always come to you um, so yeah just trying to be a bit more pointed and again thinking of it as a professional project as opposed to just there's something like the talk show where it's just something that I want to do and who knows if it'll ever happen maybe I should talk to Danny Taro maybe maybe <laughs> well you need I guess a doc of some sort there yeah that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right yeah uh, yeah well it definitely uh yeah, like I said, there's a lot of there are a lot of ways you can take the talk show, definitely. So, and there definitely is. Uh, you know, it depends how it's set up and its format, but there's always a certain audience for that. So, yeah. Yeah, I uh, think so, especially if it's live. Yes. Like I don't know about you, I like even I don't have cable, but when you know I am somewhere that has cable, or when I did have cable, I would always be drawn to a live event, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be anything special, like a talk, like a like a late night talk show. Even though I know it's taped before more, but yeah, um, they they do the they they make that illusion. Um, you know, it, it seems to be true that it's happening when you're watching it, but like for real live events, like award shows, even which mm-hmm. I don't really care who wins or I don't track it that way, but yeah. just knowing that it's a live event is interesting mm-hmm. like it, 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 it's not even that anything can happen it's just like wow this is happening right now like somewhere mm-hmm. else in the world this is happening right now there's an excitement for me anyway uh, attached to that um, which again is why I would like to you know not pre-tape a talk show or something or why I've done you know online events in the past that aren't pre-recorded some I have when there's a bit more production value like my uh, partner Alicia and I have done a few uh, uh, videos for uh, that we had to do at home during the pandemic. So we, but I didn't want them to be just dry readings of me sitting in front of my webcam, you know, reading something. Um, so we did, you know, kind of jokey, um, I guess, kind of vignettes, you know, like uh, in the last one that I did for EC3. Um, you know, there's a scene where I'm reading a poem, and it's it's voiced over this scene of me brushing my teeth. Mm. So like yeah, a, like yeah. three short poems a day in the life almost. And the second yeah. one I can't remember what I'm doing. The third one I'm Thank sitting you. in my armchair in my bathrobe with a drink in my hand. So it's the end of the night. Right. I think you're doing an exercise bike there. Oh, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So again, yeah. you get up. Yeah. You know, you uh, you brush your teeth, mm-hmm. and then you're on the bike. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, it's nighttime and time to go to bed. Is it, is it profound? No. Uh, but it's fun. Like, and I don't know. You got to have fun every now and then or else your art becomes, uh, Jesus, painful. I know sometimes mm-hmm. it has to be painful. But uh, let's try to have some fun too. Poetry just seems to have this reputation of being very stuffy and intellectual and I, I try to do my best to defy that expectation right. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, no, and you were saying that a lot last time as well, and I think that was part of the inspiration for keyboards as well, among other things. That's right, yeah. So, yeah. Do something strange, yeah. right? But well, still bring your art to it. 
while also having the voice of uh, sort of the people there, like you said, uh, instead of like, you know, some sort of uh, something recorded or kept, uh, something like you're, they're speaking, you're typing in the corner, they get the poem, that's yeah. the live exchange, there it is, yeah. you get to keep it. And it's, it's, a, yeah. it's not going to be republished or something anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a one-of-one one or one-to-one one publishing mm-hmm. experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what my, my my publisher of the book, the keyboards book that I did called Objecta, mm-hmm. the uncollected keyboards book. <clears throat> um, you know, he wrote an essay for that book, and he said that in the essay, like it's one of the only, well, the only instance he could think of that's a one to one publishing experience. Like mm-hmm. I type it, it's on a page, I give it to you, our exchange is over. Yeah, uh, and it's the only one that's ever going to exist mm-hmm. in that, you know, of that poem, that form. Um, stuff like that is exciting for me. I know a lot of people would say, a lot of people are just very, a lot of artists, um, I wouldn't say the majority, but I just know enough of them, excuse me, that prize their work so highly that they couldn't imagine giving it away. Right. And I've, n- I've never really understood that. Like, if, th- if there isn't more... If there isn't always more in you, mm-hmm. then maybe, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Right. Um, not that you shouldn't prize certain poems. Like, I, when I, if I write something that I'm like, wow, that's, I think that's, like, objectively good. Those don't come by, those don't come very often. But, wow, I think most, if not all readers of poetry would like this. Then sure, I'll try to put it in a book or you know something like that. But I was trying to do that at those keyboards events and still giving them away. I just think, yeah, again, if, if there isn't more creativity in you and you're not able to just kind of access more and more and more, not all the time. Um, but if it's a problem for you, then I think that's always going to be a problem, and it's going to become more cancerous over time. It's going to start eating at you. Um, like I know a lot of people that put like the little C copyright on their work as if but it's not actually copyrighted they just put it on because they don't really know how copyright works so they think if they just put the stamp on it <laughs> oh really then okay. all of a sudden you know it's 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 theirs so, yeah you know, uh, like yeah. well that's first of all it's not how it works second of all why are you so worried like you think you've published a chat book in a small town like Peterborough or even a bigger city like Ottawa you think somebody's going to take that work and then go make t-shirts mm-hmm. or something if somebody wanted to make t-shirts of my chat book oh, work yeah. have at it yeah. I think that'd be great right. so if you're walking down the street and see a line from one of my poems on somebody's back that'd be amazing that, that, that would be yes. and I wouldn't contact the person that did it to be like hey you will need yeah. whatever yeah. that's great yeah. I'm all for that mm-hmm. have at it mm-hmm. my work might, might as well be uh, open source what do they call that public domain right uh, yeah. because you want to use it have at it mm-hmm. please do please get it more out into the world for me mm-hmm. you know <laughs> that sounds great right I, I, I so a message to all your listeners if you want to take my work do whatever you want with it please do okay it's public domain <laughs> yeah, yes okay. yeah, that's right yeah, that's right okay yeah I guess some people still have these illusions it's going to be maybe uh, made into a series and streamed out on Netflix a year oh, later yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah yeah yeah. As long, okay, if it's going to be a Netflix series, all yeah. I would want is like based on the work of. Yeah. 
I don't need the residuals. Right. You know, I'm okay. Yeah, okay. I do okay. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, wealthy by any stretch. I, I, I manage to get by. Right. I don't need, uh, you know, yeah, the money from the uh, the possible adaptation of a chat book. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go ahead and just keep that money. If you mm-hmm. need it that bad, that you need to steal another artist's work to make your own work, maybe you deserve it. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, maybe you, I'll just let you have it. Mm-hmm. You know, you must need it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess last time we were talking a lot about um, this this uh, town and its uh, various struggles and what's what's, uh, yeah. what's not but uh, I, I don't know I, I guess uh, since then not that I'm regretting the, that interaction but I'm just uh, thinking I guess back I guess the last little while I've tried to take more of a positive thing it might just be the weather I'm not sure but uh, <laughs> uh, so I guess what I'm interpreting from you is you're more uh, yeah they're like when you're doing keyboards like you really sort of were it got you really a, a sense of understanding of your home again that you grew up in but you were away then you come you came back um and now it's more of uh like a focus of uh i guess more of your own words themselves and setting your outside setting for at least this project doesn't really matter so much yeah actually yeah because i i I think uh, i i like to (laughs) Unfortunately, I like to change my philosophy of writing all the time. Uh, I just always reserve the right to contradict myself. Because why, mm-hmm. why not? Um, but about a year or two ago, I swore that, okay, everything else I'm going to write from here on in, or for the most part anyway, is going to be about Peterborough. Okay. Yeah. And again, when you, it, 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 some people might say, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Audible decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's great that you want to use your, you know, limited powers mm-hmm. uh, to do something, you know, uh, generative for the city. Right. I did. I did. I did that. I did enough of that. Mm-hmm. Not to the point where it's just like, well, I did that, so now I can move on. But the more I kept thinking about that idea in particular, just like, well, why? Why would anyone choose, unless it's for like a specific project that has a deadline, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Why would anyone choose to limit themselves at all in terms of what they, you know, think they should be doing artistically or creatively? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I remember when I was like, no, no, every again, everything I'm going to write is going to be, you know, in service of the city. And then I would write something that had nothing to do with it and be like, well, what do I do with this? Where where is this going to live now? Because I'm a, I'm the Peterborough poet guy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm only doing mm-hmm. Peterborough work. So where does this land then? Where where is this going to go? And it's not that I'm worried about every poem in terms of where it's going to be published, but like it was kind of a realization of again that why am I limiting myself if if I'm writing something that I really like and then I'm like oh well this has no place with me anymore because it's not part of this very limited swath of, of things that I can write about. So what, am I going to throw it away? What, am I going to bury it in a pile of other work that I'll never get to? Like, it, it just, it, it reminded me of how ridiculous that is. Like, just to focus on any one thing to be your creative outlet is just kind of absurd. Um, and and again, I've said for the third time now, limiting. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, you know, is, is to put yourself in a bread box, you know, creatively anyway. Um, because then you'll operate that way. 
you'll work that way, you'll write that way, you'll think that way. And and also it would even if I had decided to do that, it would it would limit the scope of what I can write about the city. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not paying more attention to again that like Lambda AI or what the what they're doing with the James Webb telescope and yep. all this stuff. Like if I can't write about that, if I'm not allowed according to my own rules, mm-hmm. well then I can't bring those ideas or things or events into my work about the city and and of course they can be related mm-hmm. like of course you can talk about you know infinite galaxies and be writing about George Street mm-hmm. you know like of course you can I could you know if I had to do it right now I could right um, of course you can you know some of the best writers ever have done that like James Joyce did that you know like the mm-hmm. what's the uh, is it Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man it's like a the address is uh, like the street address, and then Dublin, Ireland, yeah. Europe, Earth, oh, no. Milky Way. Is that Joyce? Uh, yeah, that is Joyce, but I don't uh, think that's Portrait of an Artist. Okay. I think if that's either Ulysses, maybe? I think I believe that's Ulysses. Okay. Yes, yes. But you know, like, yeah. so again, like the the best, and that's just one example. Like the mm-hmm. best writers tend to take where they are and, and mm-hmm. elevate it in a weird mm-hmm. way, or or bring it down in a weird way if it needs to be kind of checked like a bigger city like New York or London mm-hmm. it needs to be kind of put in check in a way um, so again as soon as you're limiting yourself in any one way that way it can seem laudable again like I'm going to do my city justice I'm going to you know a lot of people think that Peterborough's um, you know really rough scene right now and mm-hmm. in a lot of ways they're right yeah um, but to limit myself to what's available to me visually in that rough scene means that I'm cutting myself off from from uh, you know thinking about the city in a different bigger way or smaller way mm-hmm. um, yeah well yeah and I, I don't know about you but uh, um, I mean Peterborough is different obviously because smaller most people don't know about it outside but if uh, uh, if any movie or book or even music uh, album of some sort is going to uh, go on about uh, New York or Los Angeles or London. That's that's a real turnoff for me because I find that to be kind of a real facade, and it's not. I don't. How many people have gone down this track before? So yeah, it's just yeah. And how many people do that really well? Yeah, like it's usually the folks that like get right down in it, like you know Dickens in London or. Right. You know, like the people that are dealing with likely the most disenfranchised folks in those communities, like those are the ones that tend to get at a bit of truth. Right. When you're just writing about, I don't know, if you're writing about, uh, you know, going to fancy restaurants and, and I, I mean, I, I again, I shouldn't be limiting that either. But yeah, I'm usually just turned off in that, like, I could get this insight from a mediocre documentary on Netflix. Right. You know, yeah. why would I bother engaging with this? I don't know. Yeah, maybe I Well, don't. we've kind of had this global gentrification thing anyway. Like, I was listening to two people on uh, one podcast talk about Toronto. They're a bit younger than me. They were talking about it, I think, from the late 80s, early 90s. But, uh, like, you know, there was a time when, like, you know, 
besides the CN Tower, like the big one of the biggest buildings in Toronto to go to was Honest Ed's, or, and then Sam Snyderman, you know, at Sam the Record Man. I don't, sure. I don't, people can't really relate to that now anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, sure. Yeah, just yeah. give these endless conless condo towers that weren't there then. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And yeah. Those, yeah, those spots like I could see because of the the tradition, the history, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the fact that they were different and, and irreplaceable and, and and you can't replicate those places, like those are the places that I could see being interesting coming into a, a you know, a novel that somebody's writing about Toronto mm-hmm. at a certain time and place. That would be interesting. Like in the skin of a lion, like Michael Andache's in the skin of a lion, like right. Blue Street Viaduct. It's mm-hmm. like, well who the hell would write a book? with the Bloor Street Viaduct. <laughs> yes. You know, but, yeah. well, somebody with an understanding of history. And somebody, yes. but, you know, it, it, it beats the hell out of writing about the 407. Yeah. You know, or when, like, yeah. who cares? It's a, <laughs> it's a strip of asphalt that is, is already outdated. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as the highway's finished, it's already outdated. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather, either you're writing about haunts or you're writing about places that um, kind of supersede... Uh, any kind of um, whittling down that, that defy kind of what the city is, but also encapsulate the city like a yeah, like an honest Ed. It's like my goodness, mm-hmm. I only ever went there once, but you don't forget it. No, no, uh, it, that's a wild retail, the wildest retail experience I think that exists in Canada. At least. It, it definitely was. Yeah, you never knew where the hell anything was, and then there's free turkey giveaways. I never really understood. Yeah. yeah. Or I, I remember I was looking for I was looking for a, a, a shirt. Yeah. I needed a, a, just a plain white shirt. Yeah. And so you're going all over the place because, like you said, yeah, like it's not like oh all the clothing is here, all the shirts yeah. are here. And they're just like these bins that are the size of this picnic table, mm-hmm. full of white socks, the same kind. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just the same tube socks. It's just like, and there's these bins everywhere. Like, yeah. oh, there's there's ten thousand t-shirts in this mm-hmm. bin. Like, it's insane. Most dads, yeah. <laughs> so finally, yeah. Um, uh, so I take it since you've opened you've opened your doors to like exploring new things and not giving yourself any sort of set rules. Uh, is, is hockey more in the background at the moment then? Uh no, hockey's always hockey's always there. It's, uh, hockey's like my like how should I put it? Mm-hmm. Well, and I could go on about how like as soon as people find out that I'm uh, like they know me as a poet, and they find out I'm into hockey. It's like all of a sudden I have no wisdom mm-hmm. to impart. It's like oh, so you're like that kind of writer, or you mm-hmm. you know you must have some kind of like intellectual deficiency because you're into hockey. And mm-hmm. then I would just counter that by saying like, well, what do you what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know what do what do you do to turn your mind off or just you know have fun like you did when you were a kid like when I was a kid it was always about like Dungeons and Dragons and like again you're not curing cancer it's just it's something to do yeah. with your time um so yeah hockey is uh, hockey holds my interest there's so much involved I'm starting to get into the kind of deeper aspects like I just I just read Ken Dryden's The Game which mm-hmm. is just a brilliant yeah, no, that was a classic yeah brilliant book and I can't mm-hmm. believe it took me this long to read it mm-hmm. to get to it but yeah it is just like my goodness he's got to be he's got to be objectively the, the greatest writer athlete ever mm-hmm. like poetic interpretations of like you know kids running in the snow outside of the forum like just unbelievable stuff yeah um so I, 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 I see more in the game. Like I always say, like when you like art and sport uh, are actually a lot closer 
closer, a lot more aligned than people think they are. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch a hockey night in Canada, I think I talked about this last time. If you right. watch a hockey night in Canada, especially like a playoff game, so it'll start with like a song by like Joel Plaskett or something, right? Like yeah, or Gord Downie or something, right? Or Serena Ryder or whoever, a Canadian singer songwriter. And oh, and and so that's overlaying this montage of so it'll be uh, you know Ace Bailey walking out uh, to go onto the ice, and then they'll cut to Daryl Sittler walking out to go on the ice, or Dave Keon, and then and then they'll cut to Doug Gilmore, and then they'll cut to now, so Austin mm-hmm. Matthews walking out, or Mitch Marner walking out, or John or whoever walking out on the ice. So they're 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 trying, they're, or they're not trying. They have to relate the past of hockey to the future because. That's actually what holds our interest. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think they just like the sport and they like the players. There's a lot more going on under the surface uh, in any hockey lover's mind than just the players they're seeing play the game. Because if you think about it, like I, for instance, have been a Leafs fan for not my whole life because I was a Patrick Waugh fan when I was younger. I wasn't okay. even a hockey fan. I right. was a Patrick Waugh fan. Oh, really? And wow. so... And then I learned my lesson and became a Leafs fan. Yeah. <laughs> and then stopped learning a lesson. Uh, or learned many lessons every year in our losing. Uh, but um, maybe, let's say 15 years. Maybe mm-hmm. the hypothetical. I don't need to do the math on how long I've been a Leafs no. fan. Nobody wants to hear that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just say 15 years. So there is not a player playing for them now mm-hmm. that was playing for them 15 years ago. No. So when you think about it that way, what the hell are you cheering for? Mm-hmm. Like, there's been an entire turnover. Like, mm-hmm. there's nobody there from that time. Right. Are you cheering for the logo? Mm-hmm. Are you cheering because they're closest to Peterborough? Mm-hmm. Are you cheering for, you know, remembering that team mm-hmm. that, that you saw 15 years ago? Like, sure, all of that is probably a little bit true, um, but there's also just this element of, again, that, that, that nostalgia, history, it's all working on you mm-hmm. at the same time. It's all about, well, I hope my team wins. Of course, you do that, too. That's a big part of it. You want your team to be successful. I don't need to go on about that. No, that's good. Well, uh, I, I think that... Nobody that wants to hear me talk about the, the Leafs. My goodness. Oh, you'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah no, so actually, I think, yeah. Okay. We are, when Leafs fans are suckers yeah. to hear about uh, the goings-on. They just signed, uh, or they just traded for Peter, or... Uh, it's a new goalie, right? Uh, yeah. I I'm, not, I'm not the biggest NHL fan, but I thought I was hearing something about Matt that. Matt Murray, yeah. yeah. So yeah. now it's just, you know, you go on Sportsnet or whatever, and it just... Right. There's a new article every hour because they know the Leaf fans just want more and more information. Right, and I was hearing like I was hearing a lot of people going on, "What the what the hell are they thinking?" or that sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. But that's yeah. always the way. Yeah, there's yeah. never a good decision. No, right. We just yeah. have to see how it plays out. Right. Well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, thank you very much for this. Anyway, thank you. Um, thank you to Justin. Thank you to the only for hosting that. I think it's best you end tonight with what he was doing. Another thing he's done, where he's with uh, Electric City, or Electric City, who, who were celebrating Poetry Month, and they featured one of Justin Millian's poems. It was kind of a video series there. I think it's on the YouTube channel, which I'll mention in my show notes, all of this, of course, but it's on the YouTube channel... It's just Electric City, or is it Electric City something else? Electric City Culture. Yeah, Electric City Culture Council. And this one's called You're at Home with Justin Million. This is from about two to three months ago. I love this one.
and I, you really need to see it in video as well. But let's end today's episode 21. Hope you enjoyed my uh, podcast there with just a million in a natural setting. There was no Zoom in that one. There was no Zoom in that one, and it took me two tries to get the right app, and our second conversation had nothing to do with the first. You really should have had two episodes to this, but at least I think in our second one, we're not talking about anything that's any uncomfortable topic. And we don't need to. Okay. I'll see you next time on Corner of Hunter and George. Look me up on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple. Thank you. Oh, hello, stranger. I didn't see you there. Welcome to my home. Gary Million. When we moved in beside the convenience store, we had people over quite a bit. One party, I developed an alter ego named Gary. He went over way too well. The next morning, I was so hungover, I felt like someone else. City for Carol Winter. Carol volunteers her time. Alicia respects Carol. Good people free good people. I could spend my summers full in that Jackson Meadow, all the politic disappearing. Nutmeg and I run on my days off. Our family is a route's root. Our family photo demystifies the most intricate orchids. Let your worried numbers fall. Downtown's a working pollock. Remember Color Your World? I'll retire into Hunter Street's piano. If you can hear me, I will try to reach you. Guzzle number 48. I will never write about tennis. It's a lot of back and forth, though I am quaking with some green field. I can't write these things anymore. How many times have I referred to myself? Remember when poets used to do that? I can't grant myself. I could use a little time to myself. I can feel this when I pass a payphone. I wish you were here so that I could hear your wife's heart thronging in the uninterrupted love of your life. I picture us finishing this later. When I'm dead and gone, Make me the goldest watch. 
retire my number. Make reading at least this broken telephone of a legacy a ceremony. Start with July 19th, 1983.